Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord as written in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. I want to do the whole thing. Thanks be to God. Okay. Good morning. Welcome to all of you. Uh, just a quick note, I realize for those of you who are visiting, you may not know, I happen to be married to the lady who is just reading scripture. I do not normally kiss our scripture readers, uh, but uh, pastoral privilege on that one for one person only. Hey, we are glad that you are here this morning to worship with us. Uh, again, for those of you who may be newer, one of the strategic priorities our elders identified several years ago was uh, updating our building to help us be more effective in our mission uh, and doing a better job of communicating who we are and what we're here for. And so uh, we solicited input, we developed plans, we launched a capital campaign, and now we are so close to the finish line. And we are going to have a celebration August 18th between services uh, down in the gathering space downstairs. So be sure to be here for that. And that is worth an amen. Now, while we are heading towards that celebration on the 18th for these uh, next week or so, we've been looking at this series called Building Ambassadors. Because it's a reminder to us of our vision that we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ in our secular culture. And it's important to remind ourselves of that, not just because that's what we want to be about, but we need to remember that the end of construction is only the beginning of the project, really, of why we built this thing. It's not just to have a nice facility, although it is nice. It's to help us be more effective in the mission and the purpose that God has for us here, to design a facility that communicates and supports and encourages our calling as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Well, last week we looked at how the church is 
a community, like a family, the family of God. And a church building is kind of like a home for the family of God with different rooms for different purposes. And this week, what we really want to look at is then, what does it look like to live life with God? How do we grow in knowing God and looking more like Jesus? Because that's God's purpose for saving us. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 29, those whom God foreknew, he predestined, he set apart to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers, many brothers and sisters. That's God's purpose for us, for you, in saving us and calling us to himself to make us like Jesus. So how does that happen, and, and how does a church do that? Because that should be our pursuit. Well, that's, I think, what Paul's getting at in this passage in 2 Corinthians 3. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to this second letter of Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 3, answering this question, how do we become like Jesus? You know, I, I like flowers, I like gardens. Amelia just had a story pop up on her Facebook feed about uh, this beautiful uh, Chinese lantern festival at the St. Louis Botanical Gardens that we were at, I think, like four years ago. Beautiful. Um, I'm not much of a gardener myself. I don't really have the skill or, frankly, the, the willingness to invest the time to get that good at it, but I, I do like things like hibiscus plants, and uh, I've had a, a beautiful one in our yard, um, but I'm not very good at nurturing them or caring for them, which is obvious when you see what the actual one in our yard looks like. <laughs> it used to look like the one on the left, but hibiscus, hibisci, I don't know, uh, they are tropical plants. They like warm environments. And in case you have not noticed, Indiana is not a semi-tropical climate. So when you leave it out overnight for several days during a cold snap, it tends to drop half of its leaves. I thought, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, we'll take it in. We'll put it on the sun porch. I know what it needs, you know, a nice, a nice drink of water. So I got the mister out and I was spraying it, forgetting that we had filled it with bleach to clean the bathroom. <laughs> And that got rid of the other half of the leaves. Good gardeners, on the other hand, <clears throat> create the right conditions for their plants. They, they take care of things like uh, the quality of the soil and the temperature and the amount of moisture and the amount of sunlight and the nutrients that the plant gets. Uh, in fact, uh, they, they may even bring them into a special building, a greenhouse, to nurture them, to, to develop them, and to grow them into everything that they are intended to be when they ultimately go out into the, the garden or the yard or wherever it is. Uh, it, it's about plants being at different stages and needing different varieties of those conditions, but ultimately a greenhouse is about the climate and the environment and the setting to help the plants go deep so that they can grow and become everything that they were meant to be. Now, I'm trying to do that with this poor hibiscus. I did finally bring it inside and I give it some miracle grow and some water and, and that's why there's a few green leaves on it. If anyone knows how to or what to do with that thing from here on out, that'd be great. What if the church, though, 
was like a greenhouse where God's people come together to be rooted deeply in Him. That the, that the church, not even so much as a building, but as a community, was about providing the right climate, the right nutrients, the right moisture, the right amount of light to help us grow deep, to have our minds renewed, our lives transformed, our wills aligned with God and His purposes. One of our members, Bill Schuen, uh, has uh, worked for a number of years with Congo Initiative advocating for uh, flourishing and wholeness in, in that country in Africa. His son-in-law, Matt, uh, works there as well as an architect who's helped design and then oversee construction of the uh, Christian Bilingual University of the Congo, part of the Congo Initiative that we as a church have supported. I, I love how Matt describes this work, creating space for transformation to happen. Isn't that awesome? That's what we're trying to do with this building project, with this facility, to encourage connection with one another, communication with God's Word, communion with God, and commitment and commissioning and training to go out from here with the life and the hope and the truth of Jesus, a facility that would communicate our, our desire, our mission to make disciples of all people to the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, a, a, a facility that expresses God's welcome and God's love for everyone that he's made in his image, a, a facility that says, you know, this is not just about us, it's not just another building that happens to be on the road, but, but we want to identify why we're here and what we're about and invite people to be a part of it. We have defined disciples as a people doing life with God for the world. And we looked last week at the community, the people part. The discipleship is also about doing life with God, about going deep. And, and that means the habits, the structures, the patterns, the, the resources, the, the building, any of the things that we put in our lives that are about helping us see Jesus and be changed as a result. So we gather together to do that. That's what church is. We come together to help each other see the glory of God and what He's doing and remind ourselves of what He has done because, you know, sometimes we have a hard time remembering that for ourselves, right? especially when we're in the middle of difficulty and trial. It can be hard to see or believe that God is doing something here or that there's anything glorious about this. Sometimes maybe we don't see that until years after the fact, if ever. But brothers and sisters can help us see that, can help us see where God's working in our lives and what He's doing. Sometimes we can help one another as well see the glory of God as so much greater and bigger than the other things that look glorious and attractive that sometimes we're drawn to. That's what community is for. That's what the facility is for. That's what a greenhouse does. It draws us together to give us perspective, to give us nutrients, to help us grow deep, to encourage spiritual growth. And so in this passage in 2 Corinthians, I think that's, 
part of the first thing that Paul is getting at here, that vision to see God is life, is the, is the life that the Spirit brings about in us. Did, did you catch that? It came about a couple of different ways. Uh, the context in Paul's letter is he's, he's writing these Corinthian believers, and he's concerned that some teachers have come in who have said, yeah, Jesus is Savior, that's fine, but you really also need to make sure you're keeping the Old Testament laws and, and, and that the law actually becomes a way that you can relate to God. And Paul's saying, no, no. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all you need. And not only that, you can't even really know God or understand His Word without experiencing the life of the Spirit that Jesus alone brings. Trying to relate to God through the law is like going backwards because the Spirit has come to bring light to God's Word, to, to take the veil off of our eyes is, is the image that he uses here. And, and the background there is when Moses in the Old Testament would go in the tent of meeting uh, to get instructions from God, to get commandments, to get directions, to get answers, and he would come out and his face would reflect some of God's glory, but that glory would fade. And so he had to put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't know that, you know, sort of the wisdom and the insight and the godliness was leaking out. Because the only direct connection he had was in that tent of meeting with God. That's where he learned what he needed to do and where the people needed to go. And that veil, Paul says, is still over the eyes of anyone when the Old Covenant is read, because it's only in Christ that we understand God, that we make sense of Him, that we even make sense of His Word. Because apart from God working in us through Christ, we are blind. We are deluded. I grew up in a church going home. I was in church just about every Sunday. I was in Sunday school. I sang in the church choir. I was in youth group as a teenager. We went through the liturgy every Sunday, and I could recite parts of, you know, ancient Christian creeds and, and even Bible verses, and, and that naturally led me to believe I know who God is, I know what He's like, I know what He wants, but the problem is I didn't really know Jesus. And so what ended up happening is I had this idea of God in my head that was even coming in some way from God's Word, but I had filtered it through my darkened understanding so that what ended up happening is God looked like what I thought God ought to look like. And the parts of God's Word that would have challenged me, I ignored, and I focused on the parts of God's Word that seemed to make me look good in comparison to other people. I couldn't make sense of it, really, because I didn't have the Holy Spirit helping me understand His Word. God's word in that sense even reinforced my pride and my self-righteousness. Anytime we try to apply God's word apart from Christ, apart from the illumination of his spirit, the Old Testament simply becomes, even God's word becomes another set of rules and regulations that will either drive me to despair because I don't live up to them, or inflate me with pride because I choose to read myself positively through what I think I'm seeing there. This is a reminder, Paul is saying, that by nature we are blind, we are enslaved. 
to our natures, to our passions, to our darkness, to our foolishness. And it's God who gives us the vision through His Spirit to see Him, to know Him, and to understand even this Word that He gives us. Jesus is the one that makes the Bible make sense because it's all about Him. And if we're reading in a way that isn't about Him, we don't understand it. So the church then, like, like a greenhouse, becomes a place where the light of God's Word is shown into our hearts. That's why we gather. That's why we get together in connection classes and, and groups. That's why we come together to worship. That's why we gather to confess our sins and to acknowledge how much we need God and how far short we fall of what we ought to be because He's the one who helps us see that. We all fall short of God's glory. You see, part of what the Spirit helps us see is there's no godly ethnicity, there's no human culture that is the standard that we're trying to align ourselves or anyone else to because we're all wandering around in darkness apart from God showing us the truth by the Spirit. You know, I've always been interested in news and politics and government, and uh, there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but politics is a terrible way to understand the world, especially in the environment that we're in in our country, it seems now. I mean, if politics is the lens through which I am looking at the world and, and you know, filtering out what's true, that's going to lead me increasingly to anger and resentment and division and fear and hostility and dividing people into good guys and bad guys and friends and enemies. And it's crazy, right? That's why we need this word, because it needs to be illumined by the Spirit to become the filter, the lens through which we actually see ourselves and see our world and see our culture, see our own in-group, you know, whether it's about race or gender or sexual identity or politics or economics. God is the one who gives us the, the lens, the wisdom to be able to understand ourselves, to be able to understand others, and to do that with humility. Because one of the things that happens when we allow God to help us see His glory through His Word is we recognize it's reflected in other people that we may even disagree with, people that we may think are on the other side of the political aisle, or people who come from a different background, or, or people who may even critique us. Because this Word forces me to be humble about myself which means then I can acknowledge I may even learn something from people who are different from me. And in fact, I may need them to challenge me and, and to hear things that I don't want to consider because you're in that group. But if my filter is the Word of God illumined by the Spirit, now I can grow. What if what if we didn't have to categorize people into, you know, friends and enemies and good guys and bad guys based on a, a club or a group or a class or an ethnicity or political definition? What if, it, in fact, 
we as Christians were known as people who were willing to humbly examine our own faults and reflect on maybe where I've got it wrong or there's something I can learn from someone who isn't even a Christian because all truth is ultimately God's truth and if we're people of the truth we should love the truth wherever it comes from See, we should be people who can hold one another accountable as brothers and sisters in Christ for how we speak about people who aren't in our group and ask each other, is, is the way that I'm talking about those people guided by God's truth and by His grace? The Spirit removes this veil of ignorance from our minds to help us see the glory of God's truth that brings freedom, freedom to not have to be self-righteous and defensive, freedom to not have to have all the answers, freedom from man-made power systems and political structures and, and all the ways that the world wants to divide us against each other. In the life of the Spirit, see, we come to understand more and more who we are and who God is and what really is important in this world. And, and that leads us to a freedom then a freedom that the Spirit brings to grow in God. Did you see that in verse 17? The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. Now, why would Paul need to say that particularly? Not just freedom, I don't think in a religious sense, freedom from the Old Covenant, but freedom from the power of sin to control and define us. And if Paul is having to remind us that there's freedom that comes only from the Spirit, it's because we are still fighting a battle against letting ourselves be enslaved by sin, by self-righteousness, by pride, by legalism. And, you know, it's one thing to acknowledge intellectually that, yeah, sure, sin enslaves me. It's a lot harder when it gets down to a personal level. You know, I, I can see people and the wrongs that they did 50 or 100 or 300 years ago, you know, the Crusades or Inquisitions or slavery or segregation. And, and yeah, those things were obviously wrong. I, I, I can't even believe those people did those things and, and called themselves Christians. But given the fact that those people thought they were doing God's will and believed that they were Christians, is it possible that we could be enslaved to something that 50 or 100 or 300 years from now, other Christians will look back at us and say, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they thought that. I can't believe they lived that way. I mean, human nature hasn't changed, right? So if we are constantly in a battle to not be enslaved and the Spirit is the one who comes to set us free, it's worth us asking ourselves, what are the things I may have let myself or am letting myself be enslaved to? Because here's the thing, if I don't believe that I am capable of doing something just as sinful or unjust or unbelievable or stupid as those people did in their era, then I'm really in danger of being enslaved. Does that make sense? God gives His Spirit to guide us in truth so that the truth would set us free. 
set us free. Because by nature, we are enslaved to ignorance and willfulness and pride. And when we give our lives to Christ, we're freed. We're, we're freed from maybe the family traditions that we grew up with or, or free to look differently at the culture that we live in or, or the country that we inhabit or the definitions of you know, what is good that the world has handed to us. We're, we're liberated to assess our own race, our own nationality, our own political party, our, our own presuppositions about the world and ourselves. One of the ways that that probably can happen for us all is uh, recognizing that these things that we carry around are, are kind of offering a diminished glory of their own. They, they're promising us, promising us life, right? And they are really high-tech distraction machines. You have a thought or a feeling that you don't want to deal with. Well, here's an app that will distract you from that. You're bored. Here's an app that will take your mind off of that. You want to know what's going on in the world. Here's an app that will tell you that. And it's not that the phones themselves are inherently bad, but it just facilitates the shallowness that we can easily become enslaved to by needing to keep up on the latest memes, the latest celebrity gossip, the latest news, the latest sports scores, the, the, the latest social media thing, the, the latest phone mobile app that everyone has to have. And none of them in themselves are maybe bad, but none of them are really helping us be free, are they? In fact, they are maybe enslaving us. Because we're not really going to grow in seeing ourselves as God sees us by investing a ton of time in these things and what they can offer, right? Maybe one of the things that we need to do to be more free is to declare our freedom from our need to be distracted and entertained and to have something on in front of us all the time. Because this is where we find freedom and truth. The Spirit leads us to see the glory of Jesus Christ, see, so, that, so that we can ask serious, hard questions, not about those people out there, but about ourselves. So that the Word of God would be applied to our lives to set us free. And, and now, because we're secure in Christ, we are free to do that for the first time in our lives, and we have to do it, because that's what frees us. That what, that's what brings life through the Spirit by God's Word. The truth will set you free. The truth is not a weapon to beat up or judge other people. It's not a balm to help us feel good about ourselves or how well I think I'm obeying. The truth is about setting me free, free from, free, free from ignorance, free from self-righteousness, free from pride, free from judgment, free from confidence, that, sorry, self-confidence that, that brings actual freedom and life and joy. God wants you to be free, and the Spirit is the one who does that. And then the power to do that comes from the Spirit also. The power to actually be free, to be alive and to look like Jesus is the life that the Spirit offers. Do you realize Jesus intends to take us to the highest heights of human life and joy and fulfillment? He's come to do 
ultimate good for us and in us and through us. He says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. I've come that you may have my joy and have it completely. That's what Jesus comes to set us free to experience. And that's what the Spirit comes to do in our lives. Look at that in verse 18. All of us with unveiled faces, unlike Moses, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His image. Do you see the connection there? As we increasingly see and appreciate the glory of Christ in the gospel, the Spirit is at work, not just to make us appreciate it, but to actually make us look like Christ. Is that what you want? I hope it is because that's what God wants for you. That, that word there about being transformed is uh, the Greek where we get our word metamorphosis, uh, a fundamental change in an organism from one stage of life to another. A complete change of appearance or character. We are being metamorphosed into the very image of Jesus by the Spirit of God as we behold His glory. And we look at all that that means for the Christian life. Yes, joy and, and love and forgiveness and peace, but also bearing shame and ridicule for following Christ, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses and following Him, laying down our lives for one another. And you reasonably say, I don't think I'm up for that. And I agree with you, I'm not up for it either. But the Spirit is the one who comes alive in us to make us able to do that. It's like the story I heard of the two caterpillars that were crawling around on the ground together, and one of them looks up and sees a butterfly fluttering overhead and says, hey, never get me up in one of those things. Yes, yes, God will. He will do that in Christ. That is His whole purpose and plan and goal for you. And sometimes, though, we look at the Christian life that way. We look at the goals that God has for us. We look at the godliness of other people. We see their maturity and how much farther down the road they are, and we think, I could never be like that. Oh, man, they are just so far ahead of me. Well, maybe they are, but they weren't born that way. Nobody came out of their mother's womb looking like that. They grew that way as God transformed them, and that's what He intends for you. And, and maybe He has them in your life to help you see what you can become by the grace of God. He is the power to change. You can be delivered. You can grow. You can mature. It is God's plan and purpose and commitment for you. And that happens... Because we see Jesus directly. We're not like Moses where we have this veil over our faces. We go directly into God's presence. The pastor doesn't go back into the Holy of Holies to intercede for you. You go to Jesus directly. You have perfect, complete access to Him to see the glory, the amazing beauty, the goodness of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that begins to change us. We need a people and we need a place to remind us of that, to encourage us in that. 
This is what matters. This is your life. This is the glory that God has set before you that God intends to work out in you. Do you ever notice how uh, older couples that have been together a long time start to look like each other? I, I love that. I love seeing people that have been married for 40 or 50 or 60 years and, and how they start to actually resemble each other, the, the same body language, the same mannerisms, the same expressions. They go to the restaurant and they both end up ordering the same thing. They even look like each other after a while. Why is that? Because they've spent a lot of time together. Because they've rubbed off on each other. That's what Paul is saying happens here. The more we gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the more we start to look like him. But it's not just knowing things about him. It's walking with him with an intentionality and a commitment to actually put into practice what we see in Jesus. And the Spirit is the one who empowers that. You don't just behold his glory, you are transformed into it from glory to glory. And you say, ma'am, my wife would not say that's what I look like, or my parents would not say that, or I don't see that in them. Maybe not, because we're not there yet. And absolutely, the Christian life has ups and downs, and it's two steps forward and one step back, and maybe sometimes three steps sideways. But this is the trajectory of your life in Christ, to go from glory to glory to glory as you see more and more of Christ and start walking with Him. You start looking like Him and reflecting Him. I love those videos of uh, seeing people who undergo this sudden change of perspective. I don't know if you've seen this one. There's a uh, uh, this big burly guy in his 50s, and, and his kids get him those uh, special glasses that let colorblind people see color for the first time in their lives. And you can imagine what this is like. The guy's just, his, his mouth is open and tears are coming down his face, and he's just standing there taking it all in. And, you know, he's like swinging his hands. He doesn't even know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. And it's just, he's like, he's overwhelmed with the glory of what he had not previously known was there. The other amazing part of it is the people who are there in the video with him, they're excited for him, but they're not reacting in the same way as him. Why is that? Oh, I've seen those colors every day. Ah, glorious sunset. Throw it on the pile, another one. What if we were here as a people together to help each other see the glory of God in Jesus Christ? That that's what we are about. That's what we want this building to do. That's what we want to become as a people. That this church is like color-changing glasses for each other. That we help each other put on the glasses that help us see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And that in doing that, we are here together to encourage one another and, and to spur one another on and to help each other see the glory of Christ in each other. And to believe for each other, yes, you could do that by the power of the Spirit. You could take that step of obedience. You could make that phone call. You can do that. That's what I want 
I hope that's what you want. I think that's what God wants here. You think back to those hibiscus plants. Which one would you maybe identify more with? The one that's you know, full and flourishing and all these blooms and beauty and there's all this life and fulfillment or maybe there's a few scraggly leaves and some parts missing and uh, you know, it's a lot easier to see the stuff that's missing than, than the stuff that's actually there. This church is meant to be a greenhouse for one another, to help each other see the glory of Christ and to help draw that out of one another, to encourage one another, to, to believe that really is what Jesus is heading us to and that's what he empowers us to do. That's why we come here. That's why we worship. That's why we sing praise. That's why we confess. That's why we receive God's grace again and again in a way that empowers us then to go out of the greenhouse just like any other plant and get rooted in the place that God has for us to flourish and grow and reflect his glory in all the places that God sends us. That's a beautiful thing. That's what the church is. It only happens by the work of God's Spirit. And that's what God has for us, to go deep with Him and one another. So that this would be a place where we are rooted and grounded and nourished and nurtured in what is truly life-giving. So that then we start to look like Jesus and that out of that overflow, we pour His life into the world around us. Let me pray for us. Lord, without the work of your Spirit, we can see how we are blind, how we are bound to traditionalism or progressivism or selfishness, to corruption, to fear, to self-righteousness. We're bound to our history, bound to anxiety, bound to addictions. Lord, Lord, if you don't liberate us, we are blind and lost, but you send your Spirit to save us, to bring us to life. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and fill me and guide me and grow me. Open my eyes to see the glory of Christ, that his life would be reflected in mine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.